so good. And tonight, wow. <laughs> My goodness, the holiness of the Lord is in this place. And the presence of the Lord is so strong. I just love the presence of Jesus. You can have everything in this world, but if you don't have the presence, you don't have nothing. But you can have nothing in this world, and if you got the presence, you got everything. Out of him is life, flows life. He's the essence of life. He is the reason of life. He's the one that gives life. His breath is what's, what's in your lungs and what you breathe involuntarily. Like you can't not breathe the air of the Lord. And I'm just thankful, very thankful for this house. I'm very thankful for our leaders. I really am. Yeah. We're gonna <clears throat> we're gonna kind of be all over the place. But Father, I just ask that we would see your power. We would feel your presence. And that we would hear your voice in Jesus' name. There's a veil. There was a veil that was placed over mankind when Adam sinned. And there's a veil between the physical and the spiritual. And when revival begins that veil is slowly taken away or becomes thin. It's the veil in which we begin to perceive with our eyes and with our spirit the reality of a supernatural God, but also a supernatural world that is around us. God is beginning to lift the veil off the nations the entire world right now is under arrest. There are people that don't even believe in Jesus that know God is speaking through creation. That God is speaking from heaven. And mankind is being brought into a, like a valley of decision. Um, you know, Steve was saying that last week, and it's just what's going on right now. God, God is speaking. God, God is speaking to the earth. He's not just speaking to the United States. He's speaking to the nations. He's priming the nations for his son's return. So when revival is poured out, there's a veil that begins to lift. There's a veil that becomes thin and when that happens, we see the heavenly activity of angels. We see the manifestation of, kingdoms, of the kingdom's power. We begin to see a special grace when it comes to the manifestations of the Holy Ghost. That veil becomes lifted and God begins to reveal himself. He begins to reveal his heart. He begins to reveal his character, his nature. And he does this by his outstretched arm and by his hand. And he begins to bring a further revelation of the reality that he's real and that there's eternal life and that there is more than just what we see. God is beginning to do that in these days, these last hours.
From the beginning of the fall, Father has been pursuing his creation, and he instituted a way to reunite all of creation and to bring them past the veil that sin had put up. You guys catching this? Okay. I'm really hoping I can relay this. And I wanted to be clear because I, I really believe it's, it's important that if we get past the veil, what God just begins to do. Many of you know this quote that revival is a sovereign act of God. It is. It's a sovereign act of God. It's when God lifts the veil between the physical and the supernatural and he makes, he makes himself known in a tremendous way in his wonderful acts and his mighty power. But there's also a responsibility and a response that has to come from his creation. And it's coming into an agreement with what God is doing in the earth. When Jesus says, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that, that is ultimately going to be fulfilled. Like literally heaven is going to come to earth and God's will is going to be done in the earth. But God also manifests his power through his people to also accomplish that. Sometimes prophecy is progressive. Like things are started. There's an ultimate fulfillment. Let me speak. My tongue feels like it's 10 pounds. I, I am a little sauce. There's an ultimate fulfillment when Christ comes and reveals his holiness and his nature to the nations. But there's also a manifestation of his appearing inside of his bride that is just done in wonderful works of grace and power. That's where we are. But to understand the revelation of Christ, there's a revelation of redemption from Genesis to Revelation. And in reality, God had this redemptive plan before we were even created. God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. Like, God was not taken by surprise when Adam and, and Eve sinned. God was not taken by surprise when, when Satan perceived in his heart and pride filled his heart. You know, I think sometimes we, we get this Hollywood idea that when, when Satan rebelled against God, that there was like this war that happened in the heavens and you know there was it was going back and forth but I, I don't necessarily believe that I believe that as soon as Satan perceived in his heart that he was going to lift himself above God boom he was down and then when Satan came into the garden when the snake entered the garden his whole mission was to put what God hates inside of what God loves. We're in Genesis chapter 3. In verse 1 it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And that's the first attack that Satan will always try to bring against the people of God is to make... The people of God doubt God's word. They doubt God's promises. They doubt God himself, but God is faithful. God is true. And we have to stand firm in that. We have to stay firm in the word of the Lord. Because before this moment happened, God said to Adam, you may eat any tree in the entire garden, but don't eat the garden that's in the middle of it. I mean, don't eat the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You can have any tree, you can have any fruit, you can eat whatever you want, but you can't touch the tree that's in the middle of the garden. 
Because in the day that you even touch of it, you eat it, you will die. So what does Satan do? Satan challenges God's word, but also Satan goes after what Adam loved. He goes after the woman first. Then the serpent said to the whooping, woman, whooping. They needed a whooping after this. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in that day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There's the second mistake. There's the second temptation to even perceive or think that you could be like God. Now, God has put his spirit in you. God has made you in his likeness. But as far as the what word can I, I mean, I don't even think there's a word that can even compare to the glory of the creator of the entire universe. There's not even a word in the vocabulary that can even compare to his likeness because he's so great. He's so powerful. He's so awesome. He's so beautiful. He's all knowing. There's not even a word that can compare to that. So to even fathom that thought that you would be like God. So what did that do? That tempted them. They doubted God's word. And then the pride that Satan had in heaven that he then put inside of man and women that they could even perceive to think that they would be like God. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant for the eyes and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig trees together and made themselves coverings. They thought they could live a life like God. And we see today that for so long the church thought they could be church without God. Pride filled the heart. We're wise in our own opinion. We don't need that speaking in tongues. We don't need the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. What we need is three, three songs and a poem. We'll get you out in an hour. We don't need the power of the gospel to transform you. We got 12 steps to do that. It was the same cunning serpent that was in the garden of Eden that has been in the church for so long. We got seeker-friendly ways to get, your, to get people in church. I mean, they even sent surveys out. What would you like to see in church? That's where the church went wrong, is when you ask an unbelieving people that are unregenerated, what should happen in church? Pride filled their heart. Pride has filled the hearts of men, but God is cleansing that. The revelation that they were naked came to them. Treason was committed and the revelation of sin entered Adam and Eve and, cur and the curse entered into God's creation. Something that a lot of scholars would say, because everybody wants to know what's the forbidden fruit. Is it an apple? Is it an orange? A lot of scholars actually believe it was figs. I honestly don't think anybody really knows, but... The fig is actually really interesting because they took fig leaves to cover themselves. 
They took the very thing they ate to try to cover themselves. It makes perfect sense of why Jesus would curse the fig tree. And the very thing that cursed them, they try to cover themselves. See, that's what sin does. Sin covers you with a curse. It all happened at the fall. And it changed. It changed creation. It changed the way they heard the Lord. It changed the way they felt about the Lord. And that's what sin does. Look at verse 8. He says, when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. God's voice became just a sound. They heard it. Fear gripped their hearts because they were naked. What's interesting, because Adam's reply is, when God asked him, where are you? He says, I hid myself because I was naked. And God asked him, who said you were naked? But just in the verse before it, it said that they had sewed fig, fig leaves and covered themselves. Maybe the nakedness was that the fact that the glory of God had departed off them. Maybe they realized that the light of God's glory had lifted off of them. Fear entered their heart. Instead of running to their father, they were scared. They ran into the trees. Sin can make you stupid too. The fact that an all-powerful God, Adam stood with God, named the animals, and God said, look, I made the entire world so you can inhabit it. And Adam perceives in his mind that I can hide in this tree from an all-knowing, all-creating, all-powerful God. Sin will block the revelation of who God is. And it causes you to shrink back instead of go to. They hid themselves because they were naked, because then they had the knowledge that their innocence had lifted. And then a holy God had walked through the garden, causing fear. He lost the covering of his, innoc of his innocence, that he was clothed in his glory. Later on in the, in the testimony of this, God makes a tunic for them. Because see, only God can cover you from the curse. We see the curse come upon the animal kingdom because of the serpent. Because he actually says in verse, in verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you have cursed them more than all the cattle and all the beasts of the field. So not only did the curse fall on the serpent, my goodness, but it also fell on the entire animal kingdom, causing chaos in the midst of God's creation. And then there was repercussions to Eve, she had to bear uh, pain during childbearing. Adam, he had to sweat. And, and, and the work that God gave him at the beginning became a drudgery and a curse to him. But in all of that, we begin to see the redemption story. We see it in the, when God proclaims the Messiah, the man-child, the one who would come from the woman, that there would be an enmity between the woman's seed and the serpent's seed, and that it would bruise the man-child's heel, but the man-child would crush the serpent's head. We see redemption starting to unfold in the fall, and then God says this. He said, then God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put his hand and take also to the tree of life and eat and live forever. God couldn't stand thinking of his creation, living in a fallen state forever. I'm sure 
I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. But I want you to hear this. Because if we go back to the beginning, we'll come to a further understanding of how this is really going to end. God sent them out of the garden, lest they would eat the tree and live forever in their sin. And then look what happened. He put a, he put a cherubim right here in verse 24. He drove the man out and placed the cherubim at the east of the gate of the Garden of Eden in a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, why did God send a cherubim? Why didn't he send a seraphim? Why didn't he send an archangel? He sent a cherubim. The role of a cherubim was to cover the glory. He was the guardian of the glory. And in this moment and in this instance, this is where the veil was placed between man and God. Cherubims cover the glory. Cherubims covered the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. Cherubims was pictured on the veil in the most holy place in the temple where the mercy seat sat. There is a correlation with the garden and the most holy place of the temple. We see it in all, all through generation, I mean, all through Genesis coming into Revelation. The most holy place resembles where the presence of God was, where the glory of God was. And a man was not allowed to go into the holy place. There was only one man allowed to go one time a year. And he had to make a sacrifice for himself and a sacrifice for the people. And then he had to go in and pour the blood on the mercy seat. The veil was set up in the garden when the cherubim was placed at the eastern part of the garden in the flaming sword. The veil was set up in the most holy place so that man could not have access to God. There's a veil set up now between the spiritual and the physical. Are you guys following this? But Jesus come to take away that veil. And Luke 23, verses 44 through 46 when Jesus was on the cross, it says it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, and then the sun was darkened, and the veil was torn in two. And when Jesus cried with, cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into my hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. The death, on, the death on the cross, when he gave up his ghost, when he gave up his spirit, when Jesus went to the cross, he was purchasing your way, your access back into the presence of God. He purchased your redemption by his own blood, by the shedding of his own blood for the remission of sins. He purchased your way back that you could have a relationship with the Father, that you could experience the joy that comes from being in the presence of God. Jesus conquered death. Jesus conquered sin. Jesus restored man's dominion back to him of what he lost in the garden. The Gospel of John even says that Jesus took it a little further. You know when Jesus was hanging on the cross and when he was crying out, the Bible says 
that they put a, 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 like a mixture of a painkiller and wine on a sponge and put it on hyssop. You know, it was, hyssop was used to put the blood over the doorpost. He put it up to Jesus' mouth, but Jesus rejected the painkiller. Jesus rejected the sour wine because he took the full weight of your sin. He took the full weight of your pain. He took the full weight of your deliverance on his back at the cross so you might be restored back to the Father. And friend, when the veil torn in two in the temple, there was a resemblance that that which had been put up between God and man had also been torn in two. Look what Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 through 23 says. Therefore, brethren, have in boldness to enter the most holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil. That is his flesh. He tore the veil in the temple by tearing the veil of his flesh. Gosh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast this confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. We have a great high priest who offered himself. Who offered himself. He didn't offer a lamb. He didn't offer some cow. He didn't offer some type of animal. He offered himself. He emptied himself. He went to himself. This was God reconciling the world back to himself by himself in the body of Christ. Why did he do it? So that the veil that was put up between the creator and the creation might come down and the two might be one once again. I'm sorry if I scream, but I'm a screamer and I just get excited. I'm sorry. But it was the blood of Jesus. I do this at football games too, but I could do this for the one that gave his life for me, right? That gave his life for me, right? Man, if you can yell and cheer, and Super Bowl's next to, is tomorrow. If you can yell and cheer for Patrick Mahomes, who never gave his life about you, that don't even know you, and you can't scream for the one, the ancient one, the one who gave himself for you, come on. And I'm thankful that I'm in a house that can't scream for the name of Jesus. He shed his blood. He is our high priest. He offered himself. He went before a holy God and said, this is the only blood that can appease the wrath of God unto mankind. I need to dump it on the mercy seat. He did it. He tore the veil. The power of the resurrection tore the veil. He tore the veil of his flesh. He also tore the veil, the middle wall of separation, that separated the Gentiles from the promises of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, 
It says, therefore, remember. I'm sorry, we're going to go to verse 11. It says, therefore, remember. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision, but what is called circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promises, having no hope and without God in the world. Man, I hope this way is hitting you right now. This is how much God loves you. But now in Christ, now in Christ Jesus, you who were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one. Check that. Who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we have both access by one spirit to the Father. That's the word. How many Jewish people do we have in here? I'm 8% so I can raise my hand. That means the majority of you had no hope without Christ. He tore the veil, the middle wall of separation. The prophesied Jewish Messiah also came to redeem the Gentiles. To redeem all of creation. To not only redeem the creation itself, but also the creation of two different types of people that are in the Jewish community and who are Gentiles. In other words, if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. He's come to reconcile, to, to bring them both into one people. When you see the saints of God in Scripture, that's Jew, that's Gentile. When you think the church of God, that is anybody that has placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. God is not indiscriminate. He is not racist. He loves black people. He loves white people. He likes yellow people. Come on. That's a shouting part. All, all tribes, all kindreds, all tongues shall bow the knee to Jesus in the last days. Amen. He reconciled all things. You know what? All things, all things back to himself. He is our peace. He is our hope. He is our confidence. And we have access through the Father by one spirit, his spirit, the spirit of holiness, the spirit of holiness that's in this room. He brought us back to fellowship with the Father. Because we have no hope without the Lord. America has no hope without the Lord. 
Canada has no hope without the Lord. Mexico has no hope without the Lord. China has no hope without the Lord. We need the Lord in these last days. Because, friend, there is a thing called eternity on the other side of this life that we must be ready for. God is removing the veil that is separating the spiritual and the physical. And there is an ultimate fulfillment of this when the Son of Man comes back at his appearing. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says, In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us all in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Now what is that mystery? Paul answers it. That in the dispensation of time, of the fullness of time, he might gather to one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth that are in him. If you read the book of Revelation, you can see there is a catalyst, I'm going to try to say catalysmic, something like that. You know the thing. Thank you. I can just sit up here and pray in tongues for another 30 minutes. <laughs> there's, such a, there's such a taking away of the veil in Revelation. Without a doubt, there's allegorical, symbolic things in there. Without a doubt. But I do view the, the book of Revelation as and there are literal things too. I literally think mountains are going to be removed and placed into another way. I mean, look at, the, look at the fall of Noah. I mean, the flood of Noah. Literally, the geographical landscape of the earth was shifted. And I believe that's going to happen. Friend, if a comet comes out and a comet comes from outer space and hits the earth, friend, there, there's going to be a shift. There's going to be some movement. There's, there's going to be some rearranging. And that happens. There's a burning mountain that comes out. But you can also see there is a veil that is taken away where the whole world becomes under the arrest of the fear of the Lord and the realization. Because it even says the kings hide in caves, blaspheming God. See, these unregenerated people know that it is God who has initiated this. There's a complete revealing of the spiritual to the natural, the supernatural to the entire earth at the appearing of the Son of Man. The resurrected Messiah at his return makes a triumphant. It says that every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Every eye will see him at his great coming. Now, if we go back to Genesis 3.24, this was something that I caught. And you guys might have already known this, but it was new for me, so I'm going to submit it to you. Look at where the father placed the cherubim in the garden. He placed them at the east gate. When Jesus comes back and makes his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, he comes right through the east gate. Are you making all these connections now? I hope that I'm, I'm relaying it in a way that you're making these connections from the garden to the temple to Jerusalem to the revelation of Christ to our earthly temple, how our, how our salvation came about 
Look at Ezekiel chapter 43. It says, afterward he brought me to the gate. Now this is, this is when the Lord returns. This is in Ezekiel, but this is talking about when the Lord returns. After he brought me to the gate that faces towards the east, and behold, the glory of the Lord, of, of the God of Israel, came from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. It was like the appearance of the vision which I had, like the vision that I saw when I came to destroy the city. The visions were like the vision which I saw by the river Kabar. And I fell on my face, and the glory of the Lord came into the temple by the way of the gate that faces towards the east. Now, Ezekiel 44, the first three verses of that. He brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces towards the east, but it was shut. And the Lord said to me, the gate shall be shut, and it shall not be open, and no man shall enter by it, because the Lord God of Israel has entered by it. Friend, that hasn't happened yet. That's why I read this. So you can see that has not happened yet. The Lord God of Israel has not went through the east gate yet. Therefore it shall be shut. And look, as for the princes, because he is the prince, he may sit in it and eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by the way of the vestibule of the gateway and go out the same way. The Lord, when he makes his northern descent into Israel, execute, pouring out the bowls of wrath onto the Antichrist and his armies, executing them out of the word of his mouth. And as he goes up to that east gate, what's interesting, if you look at that east gate today of where Temple Mount is, they have it concrete shut. And then they have a graveyard that's in front of it. They have it concrete shut because they think they have it as a fortress that the Jewish Messiah can't walk through it. And then they have a graveyard that's in front of it because they believe a Jewish Messiah wouldn't walk through a graveyard. But friend, I got to tell you something. At the sound of a trumpet, when the trumpet blasts, and when you hear the sound of a voice of an archangel, the dead in, de the dead in Christ shall rise and be caught up forever with the Lord. And the Lord himself will descend down walk right through that empty graveyard right through that concrete barrier and kill the antichrist with the sword of his mouth and forever will he his kingdom be in Jerusalem forever will his kingdom be in Jerusalem from Genesis to Revelation, the Father has declared the fulfillment to redeem all creation and to tear the veil that lies between him and us. Go to Genesis chapter 28. I know we're all over the place. Remember what we're talking about, the veil between the spirit and the, and the physical. I feel the Lord so strong. Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. 
and he laid down in that place to sleep. He needed to know Mike Lindahl big time, didn't he? <laughs> that could not have been comfortable. <laughs> then he dreamed, apparently it was, and behold, a ladder was set up, or how some translate it, a stairway was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there were angels of God that were descending and descending on it. The veil was removed by Father and allowed Jacob to see into the spiritual. And Father initiated this. Just like he initiates salvation with us. No man comes to the Father except by the Spirit who draws him. Verse 13 and 14, God begins to declare the covenant that he made with his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac. This is what God says to him. After he opens Jacob's understanding, after the veil is removed so Jacob can peer into the supernatural, peer into what God is doing, peer into the actual reality that there is a spiritual world around him, that God, that God is there, God begins to speak to him. And as the Lord stood above and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This has to do with the redemption story. Remember, when God appeared to Abraham, he declared to him, he says, your, your, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. When God took Abraham out of his tent and said, look at the sky. See all these stars? You're going to have more descendants than that. Abraham couldn't even comprehend that in his natural mind because he was an old man. And his wife was barren. I mean, picture a 90-year-old walking around pregnant. And God declares, you're, you're, you're going to have so many descendants. Can you imagine Abraham's carnal mind? Well, I, I think I'm about 80 years past that. But God was talking about bringing the man child, the Messiah, the Savior of the world through his lineage, through his genealogy. This was God confirming the covenant with Jacob that he confirmed with his father Isaac and with his grandfather Abraham. But there is something more in this. This is God confirming his covenant with mankind. With mankind saying, I have a redemptive story. God peels back the veil so Jacob can peer, appear and just look into the supernatural. God speaks his word confirming it. And look at what he says to him. In verse 15, he says, Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. Man, did we not just hear those words last week? God confirmed his covenant with a generation of what he was going to do in that generation. That all the families of the earth would be blessed because of that generation. And he says, I am with you. Behold, I am with you. And wherever you go, I will bring you back to this land. How this applies to us today is we are part of this story. 
We are part of the descendants that are as numerable as the stars in the sky, as the sand on a beach. We are part of this story, and God has something ordained for this region, and we are part of that story. God wants to give America revival and awakening and wants to reform this region for the glory of his name. God says he is with us. He will keep us wherever we go, and he will not leave us until he has done this. God is saying the same thing to us today. Revival is a sovereign move of God, but it's also the response of his creation to that sovereign move of God. Then Jacob awoke from sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid. That's the fear of the Lord. That's when the Lord shows up. When, when the Lord showed up to John, he fell at his feet as dead. When he showed up to Ezekiel, he fell down. When he, when he showed up to Isaiah, Isaiah said, Woe is me. The fear of the Lord fell upon him. And he says, how awesome is this place? And I found myself saying that tonight. How awesome is this place? How awesome is this place? How awesome is this tribe and what God is doing in us and doing among us? How awesome is it? Man, I am so blessed that I got to stand here and worship the Lord God of Israel, the Lord God of America, the Lord God of China. I got to worship the creator of the heavens, the creator of the earth. I got to worship a holy God because he sent his son to die for me. He shed his blood. He took my sin. He took my pain. He took my sickness. He took my deliverance all on his back. The weight of sin was on his back. And he did it for me so that I could come right here into this place and I could worship the most holy God. I am so blessed. I'm so blessed that God has put me and my wife in this place. God has taken care of me. He is with us. He is with us. He is with us. While the entire nation is going absolutely nuts, friend, you have a sound mind. While there are cowards in the pulpit and tell me, I don't know how else I can say this, but I'm just going to say it. I'm getting to know some certain people, and I want to tell you it's very revealing on who believes what in this region. And it makes me even more thankful that I have a leader named Brian Gibbs that will stand behind this pulpit and tell me the truth. Friend, you don't understand how blessed we are. While there's preachers advocating for sex change in children. While there's preachers that say, it's the woman's right to do whatever she wants with her body. I tell them, hey, I don't agree with a, a government telling a woman what to do with her body. But this is the problem. There's a body inside that body. 
There's a body inside that womb. That body has rights too. We forget that the first person that leaped for joy that Jesus entered the womb was John the Baptist while he was in the womb. Mary was three months pregnant. Elizabeth was six months pregnant. And until a couple months ago, six months was okay for an abortion here in Florida. How blessed we are that we're not under that delusion. How blessed we are that we have the revelation of Jesus Christ. How blessed we are that we have the Spirit of God that's moving among us. How blessed we are, friends. And because we are blessed, we have a responsibility to that. And that's coming to an agreement with what the Father wants to do in this region. My God. I'm telling you, I really see Planned Parenthood closing down in this region. I see Newtown getting flipped upside down in this region. I see people crawling on their knees because the glory is so heavy. I see marriages getting restored. I see barren wombs giving birth. I see preachers getting delivered. I see Baptists getting filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. I see the dead being raised. And it has absolutely everything to do with the glory of his name. Jacob says, surely this is the house of God. Surely this is a gate of heaven. Surely we have the revelation that a gate has been opened. A divine gate has been opened over Sarasota. And God has initiated it. Revival is the sovereign act of the Father to redeem the glory of his name. And it's also the response of his people to a divine invitation. We have to respond to the gate being opened. We have to respond to the well that's springing forth. We have to respond to the sounds of heaven. We have to respond to the groans and the, the, groans and the travail of God's creation. Saying, come Lord Jesus, come. Friend, there is a coming of the Lord. But there is also an appearing of the Lord. There is a coming when he splits the eastern sky and makes his triumphant way. But there's also appearing when he manifests himself in absolute power within his church. And his church goes and flips the world upside down like they did in the book of Acts. John chapter 4, and I'm going to try to land here. And look how this is all connected. We know, the woman of, we know the woman of Sychar, of Samaria, going to Jacob's well. Now, this well isn't at Bethel, but it's in the area. There's not any information of why Jacob dug this well or where he exactly dug this well, but it's within a half a mile to a mile and a half of Bethel, of, of the ancient city of Bethel. But Jesus has this has this conversation with a woman that the Jews, the Jewish people, rejected, the outcast. I love the fact that Jesus doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't use your social, your social, uh, whatever it is, your social standard as a standard for salvation. It's like Jesus sought out 
the ones that everybody rejected. That's what I love about Jesus. Jesus didn't look for the person that had the nicest clothes. He looked for the person that had no shoes. He looked for the person that couldn't walk, not the one that pranced. Jesus didn't look for the one that knew it all. He looked for the blind. Jesus didn't look for the one who knew everything. He looked for the deaf. Jesus didn't look for the one that had the biggest platform so they could say the loudest word. He looked for the ones that were mute. And what did he do? He restored everything. So he finds this woman of Samaria. And they go on in this dialogue about having water. And this woman had such a carnal mind, she couldn't tell that Jesus was speaking to her on spiritual things. Jesus answered, and this is in verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman's like, hey, give me this water so I can come here and I may never thirst and never have to come here to draw again. She had this carnal mind. She, she couldn't tell that Jesus was talking about spiritual water, about the spiritual well-being of her soul. What's interesting about a well and about it springing forth, a spring, how it springs forth, is the water rains down into a certain place. It's rainwater. It rains down, and as it goes into the ground and starts to run across the rocks that are underground, what did Jesus say? Whoever hears my sayings, I'll liken them to this man that built his house on the what? So Jesus and the Holy Spirit sends the rain, and it rains down, and then it waters. It runs across the the rocks, and it purifies. It takes all the purity out, and then because of gravity, it's going forward. You guys catching this in your spiritual ears? It's going forward to it finds a place that it just busts out. And water comes out. And what does it do? It gives life. Back in the ancient world, if you had water, you had life. You need water. You can go about 40 days without food, but you can go three days without water. It's a necessity. Jesus was speaking to her about spiritual things. Fred, you can't go a single day without the spirit of life that's in you. That's spiritual water. The water that wells up and springs forth. You can't can't go a single day without it. It's a necessity of life. And she's stuck in this carnal mind. And then Jesus goes right to the heart and says, go call your husband. And we know the story. She says, I have no husband. And Jesus says this, gives her a nice word of knowledge. Yeah, we know you don't have no husband, but you've had five husbands. And the one that you live with now is not your husband. I can only imagine that her heart sunk right down to her stomach. But instead of condemning her, look what he says. He reveals that he's the Messiah. He goes right to the root. He goes right to her trauma. He goes right to where her insecurity is about all the past, the past mess that she had, all those failed marriages. He goes right to the root, to the insecurity. And what's really at the root of her heart and says, I'm the Messiah. I am he. She goes, I perceive you're a prophet. We know the Messiah is going to come. And he says, I am he. He reveals that he's the Messiah to ones that people wouldn't even look to, wouldn't even speak to this woman. And she runs. And I find this, this, this testimony so fascinating because she runs into town and she's like, I found somebody that told me everything I've ever done. 
I mean, this woman had five failed marriages. I mean, Samaria wasn't that big of a town. But it must have been something so strong, so convincing, so convicting that it, that it brings them out to Jesus. Friend, do not underestimate your, your testimony. Don't get insecure about your past or your failures or your disappointments. When you meet Jesus, those things are washed. He makes all things new. Either you're a new creation or you're not. I claim that every day. And instead of the shame and the guilt I have of my past sins, I, I tell people, this is where I've been. This is what Jesus has delivered me from. This isn't like a laundry list that I'm proud of. This is something that the Messiah has delivered me from. Why? Because he tore the veil off my eyes. He tore the veil off my eyes. He gave me the revelation of eternal life, of a loving father. And then his disciples come along, and we know they were carnal-minded too. He says, here, we got bread. He says, I got bread that you do not know. We'll pick up in verse 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, Sarasota, and look at the fields. For they are already right, white for the harvest. And he who reaps receives, his, receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. That both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you have not labored. Others have labored, but you have entered into their labors. He begins to infiltrate this region of Samaria. And they all come out, and it says this, that many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the woman who testified. We're in verse 39. He told me all the things I've ever done. So when the Samaritans had come out, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And then the woman said, now we believe. Not be now they said to the woman, now we believe. Not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. And we know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. It's not written, but it is my conviction that the Lord confirmed that he was the Messiah through the scriptures, but also through the power of his holiness. Just by reading the gospels, I can make that assumption, and I think I'm safe to make that assumption in scripture. That not only did he preach the kingdom, but he demonstrated the kingdom. Sarasota is going to receive a revelation of Jesus Christ through the preaching of the scriptures, but also it will be confirmed through the power of his holiness. Jesus will receive the reward of his suffering. And he does have a people in Sarasota that's coming into agreement with it. I just laid out the plan of redemption that God had planned from the foundation of the world, laid out through Genesis all the way to Revelation when he comes back. 
I want to let you know if you're in this room right now and you have not repented of your sins and turned to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith as your Savior, friend, you are lost. I don't care how long you have been in a church. I don't care if you have said a religious enchantment and somebody has popishly declared you say, friend, if you haven't repented of your sins and turned to the Lord in faith, trusting that he is your Messiah, the Bible says that you are not saved. For with the mouth confession is made, but in the heart is where you believe. If you are in this room and you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, tonight's the night. Tonight's the night that you can experience the Father's love and his embrace and the warmth of his hug as he just wraps around you and calls you his son or calls you his daughter and brings you into a kingdom. Friend, when I gave my life to the Lord, I, w I gave it because I was scared to go to hell because I knew I had the revelation of a holy God and I was a sinful man. And I ran to that altar because I was scared to death to go to hell. That is the fear of God and that has a place. But when I got to that altar and I repented of my sins and I said, Jesus, if you truly are who you say you are, I give my all to you. I won't be lukewarm. I won't be a hypocrite. I give my all to you. That's just what I said. And I want to tell you, for the first time in my entire life, I felt the Father's love. A holy Father, a God in heaven, the creator. Friend, you have no idea what you're missing out on if you have never felt the creator's embrace as you repent of your sin and come to him as, as, as God. I, if that's you, do not wait. I want you to stand straight up. I want you to make a bold declaration that you're going to stand with God in these days. If that's you, if you've never given your life to the Lord and you know you're not right with God, I want you to stand straight up right now. And I know this is bold. I know this is usually not what, what you know, your normal American church would do. But I want to tell you, I got a pow-pow from Father one time, not to make secret Christians. Because, friend, if you can't stand before people and say you're a Christian... You're not going to do it when the heat gets turned up. If you're not right with the Lord, tonight's the night to give your life to Jesus. Okay. I did get a word of knowledge. I seen a picture of an ear, a picture of a nose, and a picture of eyes. And I seen a picture of a mouth smiling. If you have ringing in your ears or if you, feel, if you have like water in your ears, I believe God wants to give you a miracle tonight in your ears. Friend, if you've been listening to carnal music, I want to, I want to tell you God wants to cleanse that out too. Friend, what you hear affects your mind and what you perceive. You listening to this satanic, ungodly garbage that's in music today, friend, I'm telling you, that's affecting your soul and it's affecting the revelation that you have towards Jesus. 
Friend, if you have floaters in your eye, if you have partial sight, if you have something going on with a retina or your cornea, if you have, have issues with seeing, friend, God wants to save that tonight. God wants to heal that tonight. God wants to redeem that tonight. And friend, if you're watching movies that you shouldn't watch, you need to put it down tonight because that also affects the revelation that you have of Jesus. You need to stop watching those filthy shows that are filled with the LGBTQ agenda, that's filled with all this racial nonsense, that's filled with lust and sexual immorality. Friend, you need to get it right with the Lord tonight. And I seen a, a mouth. God wants to restore taste tonight. But also, if you've been backbiting and gossiping, if you've been cussing and using your mouth to curse other people, you need to quit that because that will affect the revelation that you have of Jesus Christ and it will fade your vision of the Messiah. But God wants to heal that tonight. So if the altar team would get ready. Father, I ask that we would see your power. That we would feel your presence. And that we would hear your voice. God, I thank you that you're removing floaters right now. You're removing floaters. You're restoring vision. You're cleansing the eye gate. You're cleansing the eye gate. You're removing insecurity. Friends, stop looking in the mirror, lining yourself up against other men. Get the revelation of how God sees you. God, I thank you that you're restoring hearing right now. God, I thank you that you're taking away right now that underwater healing, that muffled feeling in the ear. God, I thank you that you're restoring hearing right now. God, I thank you that you're restoring the ears of the spirit too, Lord, that your voice is going to be so loud that your sheep is going to hear the shepherd's voice. God, I thank you now that you're breaking off the ties of listening to carnal music. God, I thank you that you're erasing the curses that they've heard through this music. God, I thank you that you're removing the effects from this music. God, I thank you that you're giving them a heart of understanding and a heart that is hungry for worship. God, I thank you that you're restoring taste right now. God, you're restoring taste. God, you're even removing cavities right now in Jesus' name. God, you're giving, you're removing stutters. God, you're giving them the tongue of the learned. God, you're giving them a mouth like a trumpet. And God, you're even convicting and removing the word curses that they have spoken. God, you are removing the curses that they have said out of their mouth, the filthy language that they have been saying. There's some in here right now that's been having trouble not to curse, not to say the Lord's name in vain, but God's removing that right now. God's removing that out of you right now. God, I just ask for your healing in the eyes that they would see you fully. God, I pray that you would make this altar your threshing floor. Altar team, if you'd come up. God, I thank you that you're making this altar your threshing floor. God, you're removing the chaff. 
by the fire of your holiness. I see the Lord right now just taking his winnowing fork. Just his winnowing fork right now. And I see those, the, the wind of the Spirit coming in and just taking those things away. Father, have your way. Have your way. Have your way. Cleanse your people. Cleanse your people, Lord. Bring us into a further revelation. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand, and a mouth to speak. In Jesus' name, if any of those words of knowledge are for you, I want you to find somebody that's right here, and I want you to get prayer. And if you need prayer for anything else, the altars are open. But there's a cleansing fire right now in this place. God bless you. And I just want to bear witness to that, just of cleansing and holiness unto the Lord. You may... You may feel that you're a Christian, but God, God is cleansing and bringing holiness to his church and to his bride as well. And there are those of here in here who feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit. Conviction is not a bad thing. Conviction is a good thing. Conviction is good. And there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. But the conviction of the Lord is from the Holy Spirit. And so I just encourage you that if you feel convicted in any way, maybe what Shane was talking about tonight, maybe something else in worship that the Lord convicted you of, put on your heart to change and transform and lay before him, to make him Lord of your life in that area of your life. I just want to encourage you to come. You can pray with people. You can come to the altar but just commit that unto the Lord. Give it to the Lord tonight. Thank you, Lord. We just bless you. Bless all of you. Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for your holiness. Thank you for your conviction, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing among us. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing among us for this region, for this city. We say yes to it, God. I just bless the people of God tonight. I bless them with your holy conviction. I bless them with your holiness. Lord, you say to be holy as you are holy, to be set apart as you are set apart, to be like you. We say yes to it, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. God bless you tonight.